Good morning. Merry Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Christmas is one week away. So some of you just panicked a little bit just now. One week away, uh, and uh, we got our Christmas Eve services coming. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, today, we are talking about joy. Joy. Now, I got to confess, when we were talking about it as a, as a teaching team, uh, we were kind of like dibsing things. You know, we're like, okay, here's all these different options, and, and, uh, and you know, and Alec and David jumped in, and finally it was like joy, and I was like, yeah, I'll take joy, you know. And I walked out of there and I was like, dang it. I felt like I drew like the short straw. I was like, joy. Like I, and I know some of you are already judging me. Joy does not come naturally to me. I have to confess to you. Joy does not come natural to me. I am not like a naturally like bubbly personality. I'm an introvert. I like to think a lot. Um, I am naturally a melancholy personality by nature. Um, I was like that since I was a kid. I tend to think critically about things and maybe a little bit too much, you know? If you want to know what's wrong, you should come talk to me. Like, I will tell you all the things that are wrong. I have no problem with that. Joy feels like this, this like, feels like I'm, uh, you know, I'm right-handed, but it feels like I'm writing with my left hand. Like, I don't, I, I don't really know if it really comes natural to me. Now, I came to know Jesus, and it changed a lot of things. Um, and we're going to talk about that today, because Jesus changes a lot of things, Right? Uh, but maybe some of you in this room uh, are feeling like you're connecting with me. Any, like, melancholies in this room? You're like, yeah, I get it, you know? Classic melancholy. Nobody wants to raise their hand. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Okay, so I'm alone. That's no problem. That's all right. You guys get to hear, hear how I feel. Um, but authentic joy is something that is uh, severely lacking in our culture. Right now, our world conflates joy with pleasure with fleeting happiness, like these moments that come and go. And yes, we have emotions that do come and go. But that is not the deep abiding joy that we're talking about this morning. Uh, a lot of, lot of you know, shows that you watch or ads that you're watching will tell you your joy is found in really good friends, great family, money, your work. But all of these things... Family's great. Friends are awesome. They're all amazing. They're all great. They all have moments that they're really healthy, really beautiful, really good. But at some point, they all let us down, right? At some point, it lets us down. And I boiled it down. I think really, honestly, what, what the world says gives us joy in our life uh, is other people meeting our needs or really good circumstances, which are both terrible foundations of joy, right? Circumstances come and go. How people treat you or how people make you feel, that changes daily, hourly, maybe by the minute. You'll probably leave here and maybe somebody says something to you that you're like, ah, I didn't like that, you know? This is our life. And this is something that I, I came, when I came to know Jesus, I, I found out that there is a different kind of joy, a different kind of joy. And we're going to talk about that joy today. Uh, when I grew up, uh, I, I grew up not a Christian in, uh, in Tucson, which is kind of like the weird Portland of Arizona. Um, I, uh, I grew up a uh, working class family. My parents are wonderful. They're still wonderful. Um, we just didn't know Jesus as a family. And, um, and Tucson was not a place where you would meet a lot of people who knew Jesus. Nobody we knew went to church uh, nobody we knew like had any sort of relationship with Jesus at all. 
And growing up, I could remember even at a very young age battling with depression. And as I think back on it now, now that I'm a dad, I go, gosh, I, I struggled with that way too early. Uh, and I was kind of a, like sensitive when I was young, and I, I felt a lot of feelings, you know. Um, I, I felt things. I, <laughs> I always tell this, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I felt so bad. Like I would feel bad for people and things, and, and I would feel so bad for things that even if like I had an old pair of socks that wore out and I threw them away, I would picture those socks in the trash just like crying, going, Ryan, why did you reject me, you know? Like I just, I, I felt all these feelings. I didn't know what to do with them. And, and growing up with, without Jesus, I, I, I didn't know what to say. My parents listened to me and all of that, and it was, I did all the things, you know, that I could. But uh, there was one season that I remember gave me a lot of joy, though, kind of that deep, abiding, warm joy, and that was Christmas. And I had no idea why. I just thought, okay, it's a fun time. We hang out with our family and this guy Santa like breaks into your house. And like, I just didn't know, like that was kind of like, okay, this is exciting, you know. Um, but I felt this joy that later on I would come to understand was this spiritual sort of joy, this sort of warmth that I was connecting with that I didn't fully understand at the time. And in my teenage years, I came to know Jesus and a lot changed. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But what is Joy. Uh, this, is a, this is a tough one. Um, I, I sat down and I wrote down many iterations. This is our working definition today. It's super imperfect. If you've got a better one, no problem. Just email it to me. I'll listen to it. Um, but this is what I came up with this week. Uh, biblical joy is a feeling. I know not a lot of you don't like that word. It is. It's a feeling. Like during worship, that connection with the Lord. It is a feeling. But it's given by the Holy Spirit it's not forced by us. We can't make ourselves feel a certain way. Those of you who have struggled with depression, you know, like if someone goes, hey, just stop being depressed, you go, oh, thank you. You know, like you can't, you, you can't help that. Um, how we react to emotions is another thing. But yeah, it's, a, it's a, okay, let me start over, sorry. Biblical joy is a feeling given by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the gospel, because we've been given the helper because of the gospel, enabled by the gospel that gives us perspective, protection, and purpose. Perspective, protection, and purpose. All P words because I'm a good preacher. Um, first off, joy, it has to come from the right perspective. If you have your Bible, we're going to be kind of popping around a few different verses today. But uh, if you got your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be uh, in verse 11. And this is in Jesus' teaching. We call it the Beatitudes, which is basically he gives this big list saying, blessed are you if this happens. Blessed are you if this happens. And he finishes the Beatitudes with a very peculiar one. Like this is one that I'm like, if you're a preacher and you're trying to get people excited, this is not the note that you want to finish on. But he says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus pretty much leaves no stone unturned when it comes to our relationships with people and things going bad. Blessed are you when others revile you. Not just like they dislike you or they're kind of annoyed by you. That's when they revile you. 
And when they persecute you and utter false things about you, like everything in us is like, we hate when people say things that are not true about us. And those things spread around. And he's going, if people are doing that, because you follow me, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is rewiring our perspective. Our perspective is, hey, everything around us right in front of us, this is the most important thing. And Jesus is going, no, that's not the most important thing. What happens after this thing is really important. What is happening in heaven that we don't see right now, that is important. That is more important than the things that you are seeing and feeling and experiencing right here in this broken world. Jesus is rewiring our perspective. And he's giving us a big story. So the big story is this sort of prophetic understanding, this eschatological joy of looking at the future, which is a fancy word for just like end times. And Jesus is giving us this future glimpse and saying, hey, look, one day, all of the things that you go for, all the things that you pay on my behalf, you will gain a reward. Now, I don't know what that reward is, and anybody who knows exactly what it is is probably lying to you. Um, We don't know what it is. It's kind of this mysterious thing, but it is a step of faith in Jesus going, look, what happens after here really matters. And we need this kind of global perspective shift. Because right now, when we see things in the world, we're like, hey, they're not great. They're not great. You look around and it's like, okay, hopefully it's going to get better. And then every week goes by and you're like, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. And I think as a Christian, we could look at it and we could go, okay, well, we could ignore it. We could just say, hey, everything's awesome. It's probably going to be just fine. Or we can carry joy in the midst of what's going on. And the only way that we can do that is that we can trust in Jesus and the things that he says. When he talks about the end times, and I'm not saying we're in the end times. I'm not saying we're not in the end times. Um, In the end times, he's like, things are going to get really bad. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And he lays all these things out. He's not trying to make us feel good. He's not trying to say, hey, it's all, it's all going to be just fine. Jesus goes, it's going to get a lot worse. But then, but then it's going to get a lot better. But then it's going to be a lot better. There is going to be the new kingdom, the new, the new heaven, the new earth. Everything that is wrong is going to be set right. And our hope and our joy has to be rooted and grounded in understanding that the world is not just dictated by the things we see and experience. There is more going on in the world. And when we look at things that are broken in the world, we have to remind ourselves, remind each other, remind our heart, yes, if things get bad, we expect that, we understand that. And if the world goes bad, that's fine because in the kingdom, everything is just fine. Jesus is not worried. He's not worried about it. Like he knows what's going to happen. And he's preparing us going, hey, it might get worse, but trust in me. Trust in me in all of this. And if our joy is anchored in the expectation that everything in the world will always be peaceful and it's always going to be good and it's always going to be up and to the right, when we crash into the reality that that's not the case, we can lose our faith. And Jesus is going, look, don't Build your joy on temporary things. Build it on the things that last. This is what we have to do. 
And then beyond that, even beyond the eschatological sort of point of view of like, hey, eventually things are going to get really good and everything's going to be set right. We're going to get the reward in heaven for the things that are done in secret. Jesus is clear on all of these things. They're wonderful. They're things to hope in. But it's a personal perspective shift that also has to happen. He's talking about you know, not just, hey, when things in the world are going bad. In this context, he's saying, <clears throat> blessed are you <clears throat> when others revile you, persecute you, and say false things about you. When you're in your relationships and they're falling apart or they're not meeting your expectation or things are not going well, Jesus is going, look, you need to anchor your joy in something else. Anchor it in me. And know that there is purpose in the pain. Joy is putting pain in the biblical sense in its proper perspective. In its proper perspective. Pain is a result of brokenness in the world around us and our feeling of weakness in the face of us. A lot of us, the control, controlling people in this room, the, the thing that's the hardest about things that are going on in our life is when we can't control it, Right? You see the brokenness of the world and you're like, I wish I could just wave a wand, turn the switch, make everything right, but I can't. And either we can medicate this sort of pain or we can use it as a reminder of who's actually in charge. One of my favorite all-time books uh, is The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. If you've never read it, I would recommend it, but maybe wait till after Christmas because it's a bit of a downer. Um, uh, but... Uh, it's a, it's a really great book. It's the story of her and, and really, ultimately, her sister finding themselves in a concentration camp. And um, she talks about how, you know, the, the pain of what she was experiencing in those concentration camps and people dying and people starving and all of these things that are horrific to, to read about. And in the midst of all of it, she was like, my sister kept joy, like, like her sister kept reminding her, like, there's ministry to do here, not just in the people that are dying, but to the Nazis themselves, like, we can minister to them too, and Corey, there's many times where she's like, but I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't want them to come to know Jesus, and this, the, the faith of her sister is unbelievable, like, if you want to read a book that helps you get a better kingdom perspective, that book really is second to none, in my opinion, um, but she says this, she said, Jesus did not promise to change the circumstances around us. He promised great peace and pure joy to those who would learn to believe that God actually controls all things. That God actually controls all things. I've said pretty often since 2020, I don't know if there's a season in my life that I've been more comforted by the sovereignty of God than I have in the last few years. I really have. When things are confusing and they seem out of control, I'm like, Lord, you are in control. I'm just confessing that. Like, it feels like you, it feels like you, doesn't, you don't know what you're doing, but I'm confessing that you do know what you're doing and I'm choosing to trust you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit myself to you. And this is what Corey Ten Boom is saying. She's going, look, we have to understand that God actually controls things. Actually controls things. And these are the perspective shifts that enable kingdom joy in our life. They may seem like this is a bit of a downer for a joy sermon, I get it. But this is vitally important. Because when you look through scripture, you see that the idea of joy often is set right next to pain. Like there's just, in all these verses, God's going, rejoice when all these horrible things are going on. You're like, how? How? 
One of my favorites is James. Uh, if you've got your uh, Bibles or your phones or whatever, turn to James chapter 1. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What kinds? Various, all, all, the, all the trials, you know. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that te- the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That verse would not be as powerful if James said, count it all joy when everything's going great in your life. Like rejoice, you know, when, you're, when your retirement's up and to the right. Rejoice, you know. When your family, everybody's getting along. Like he doesn't need to do that, right? Like we all know that. Like those are natural rejoicing, okay. What he's saying is he's going rejoice when you are in various trials in your life, when things are not up and to the right, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Lord, there's no justice in this. I'm so frustrated. Why is this happening? This perspective shift tells us we have to find joy in that. And it's not by forcing ourselves to be more joyful. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Like, how do we get this joy? But it is finding the joy in a different kingdom perspective. So joy gives us perspective. Number two, joy gives us protection. This is wild. Um, Nehemiah chapter eight. This is one of the most iconic Bible verses. So sorry. If you've heard me preach, I clear my throat all the time. I'm so sorry. I'll probably do it again. Um, Nehemiah chapter eight. Uh, The context of this is Nehemiah, the prophet, has rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem He was really troubled that the walls in Jerusalem were broken down. He rebuilds them. Uh, All of a sudden, now we've got this, he's he's fought enemies off and everything else. And him and the people are sitting in the joy of completing this task. They've rebuilt the walls. They're rebuilding Jerusalem. Uh, The prophet Ezra finds the the scroll and starts reading the, the law of the Lord. And there's great celebration going on. And then we pick it up in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. And it says this, go your way. This is Nehemiah talking to the people. Go your way. Eat the fat. (laughs) Some of you are like, ew, gross. Um, I think that sounds, I love steak, the the fat in this, it's wonderful. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. So don't let anyone tell you that Christians can't celebrate. Like, this is wonderful. Like, they are sitting around. They love, they're celebrating. They're celebrating what God did. They're having a feast together. It's beautiful. And he says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's interesting is uh, this word in in the Hebrew, it it happens about 10 other times in the Old Testament. Uh, This is the only time that it's translated as strength. Every other translation, and I don't know, maybe there's something in this that's like the context or like the, 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 you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength, or maybe it's been so seeped into who we are that that's what we expect that verse to say. But in a lot of ways, the better word that's used in the other times for the translation is this, the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your stronghold, is your stronghold. So this is a military term. This is a well-protected area. You're, you're protected. The joy of the Lord is this protection. You're in the pocket, right? Like, I don't know how was, any other phrases I could use for it. Like, you are protected. Your, your flanks are all covered. You've got protection all around you because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. 
It's your stronghold. And I'm telling you, when we're looking at what's going on in the world, when we look at what's going on in our own personal lives, it is so easy to not have the joy of the Lord. But when we forsake the joy of the Lord, we leave the safe place with the Lord. And I'm, talk- I'm not talking about doing it in a fake way or pretending you're fine or, or not talking through things. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's understanding and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And that genuine joy that comes from being with him, that is a safe place for you. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold. What a beautiful word. And I think this is one of those things that creates this sort of prophetic bubble around what we're doing. It really does. It creates this protection like we've never experienced. So the joy of the Lord gives us perspective, gives us protection, and the joy of the Lord gives us purpose. We're going to go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Told you we're going to be bouncing around a bit today. Matthew chapter 13. And all of this, we're just trying to gain some, bi- some biblical and kingdom perspective on joy. Uh, 13 verse 44. Verse 44. And this is a parable, a really short little parable that Jesus tells. And he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a, man go, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He buys that field. I think one of the biggest dangers for those of us who follow Jesus is that we neglect our time with Jesus and we don't taste and see that the Lord is good consistently in our life. Jesus is reminding us, when you taste and see the kingdom of God, you'll sell everything you've got to get it. You will give everything that you have just to get a taste of it. You'll give your whole life for it. Not just financially, everything, every bit of you to Jesus. Like I said, I grew up and I, I was not a Christian. And, um, and I was the first Christian in, in my, my household. And, um, and when I came to know Jesus, I was invited by a youth pastor to come into his youth group. And the more I sat there, the more I heard about Jesus, the more I was like, I think this makes sense. And the more I tasted and saw that the Lord was good and I gave my life to Jesus when I was a teenager. Um, but I was the first Christian in, in, my, in my life, and in my life. Of course, the first Christian in my life, first Christian in my family. Um, and since then, my whole, my, my family, they've all given their life to Jesus. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's, uh, if, if you're the first believer in your, your family, I just have some hope for you that Jesus can come crashing into the hardest areas, which oftentimes is our family. Side note. Um, but when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I was, you know, getting involved in ministry. I'm like, gosh, I really like this. And but everybody's telling me I really need to go to college. So I was going, uh, I, want, I do want to go to college, but I feel like I need to do something different. And I, I was talking to my friend Joel, who was the guy who introduced me to Jesus. He used to be on staff here. Um, and Joel told me about Jesus. And he's like, hey, uh, if you're confused about life, you don't know what to do. He's like, I did this thing called YWAM. And it's like a six-month thing, and you get to go and hear some teaching, and then you go do, uh, you know, a few months overseas, get to do some missions. And he's like, it's a really great thing if you want to dive in deeper with Jesus. And I was like, great, that sounds awesome. So I came home, and I was super excited. I told my mom, like, hey, not going to college, going to YWAM instead. It's going to be great. And she was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) 
She said, you're not, you're not going to go to college. You're going to go to YWAM and you're going to do missions? What is that, you know? And since then, my, my mom and dad have come to know Jesus. They're, they're wonderful followers of Jesus right now. But at that time, it was like, it was so confusing. It was confusing for them and a little bit for me. And she's like, so how are you going to pay for this? And I was like, I think God's going to provide or something like that, you know? I was like, I don't really know, but I'm going to like ask some people. And she was like, the more I explained it, the more confused she got. She's like, I don't understand this. And then I went and I, I did YWAM and it did it change my life. I, I got to hear some really amazing teaching, be around people that were really on fire for Jesus, people that were really passionate about missions. And then we got to go to Cambodia and I did some missions work in Cambodia and I came back and I was so different. And, um, and we came back and my, my parents kind of came out for my graduation for YWAM and they weren't really sure what to expect. And, and we had worship before and... Uh, and, and YWAM really came out of AOG. If, you, if that makes sense to you, then you understand. If not, don't worry about it. Um, but it was like pretty charismatic. And so we're worshiping. We got our hands up and there's people speaking in tongues and there's things going on. And my family was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I think Ryan's in a cult or something. I don't know. And I get it because it was new for me too. Our whole family were like, what is this thing? What is the Holy Spirit? And what is the worship? And what does all of this mean? But I had just tasted and seen that the Lord was good. I knew that he was good and there was a joy that came out of me. Something new, a kind of joy that I had never experienced before. And it wasn't fake and it wasn't plastic and I wasn't joyful because I was really forcing myself to be more joyful. It wasn't this like, and we've been around people right, like that, right? Like joy is the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not bubbliness. Sorry, so sorry, bubbliness is wonderful. It's great. But for some of us that are melancholy, that's not our natural place. We don't need to force ourselves to be like that. What we have to have is a genuine, deeply rooted joy that comes from a kingdom perspective. And it's just different. It's different. And I found that joy. And I was going, oh man, I found this thing that I will sell everything for. So how do we get this joy? Maybe you've come here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You're like, Ryan, this sounds awesome. So do I just need to go to church or what? You know, finding joy in the Lord is pretty simple, yet it eludes a lot of us. I think C.S. Lewis said it best. Uh, <laughs> like classic C.S. Lewis, he wasn't sloppy with his language. He was very clear. And he said this, I love this. Like this is the thing that we really need to come around this morning. He said this, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not the sort of prize which God could, if he chose, hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will get you wet. If you are not, you will remain dry. What is he talking about? He's like, look, if you want the joy, the power, the peace of the Holy Spirit, then you gotta get close to the Holy Spirit, right? If you're feeling cold and you're like, I need to be warm, you need to get to close to the, the source of that warmth. 
If you're like, I need more joy in my life, but I don't spend any time with Jesus, I will just tell you, you're not going to get it with self-help books, trying to make yourself smile more, all of these things that are wonderful, they're great, but as a melancholy, I've tried all those things, they don't really work. The thing that works the best in my life is getting close to Jesus as often as I can, getting close to the source of the fire so I could get warm getting close to the Holy Spirit so I could get wet with the Spirit. Like, this is the thing that C.S. Lewis is talking about. This brings us to our verse for the day. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I love this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. And he wasn't a victim. Jesus was not a victim. He laid his life down for us. That's a very important thing we have to remember. Jesus could have picked it up at any point and he said, no, not my will, but yours be done. And he laid his life down for each and every one of us. And it was painful and it was embarrassing And he was lonely. All his friends abandoned him. And why did he do this? Why did he go through that? The author of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. Well, what was that joy? Well, the joy of establishing a new covenant, that's definitely part of it. Jesus established a new covenant when he knew that we could never get to God on our own. He lived a perfect and sinless life and he laid his life down for you and I so that we could be connected with God. There was a new covenant he was paying for by his blood. That's a joy on the other side that he was getting to. The thing about the gospel is, the other joy is that he satisfied the justice of God while extending the grace of God. What a beautiful, complicated, and powerful thing that Jesus did for you and I. Those of us that have been following Jesus, if we think we understand it, we really just don't. We don't. We, we know maybe uh, like 10% of it. Jesus satisfied the justice, and we all long for justice, right? We, when we see something wrong or something that needs to be set right, Jesus satisfied that by his own blood for you and I. At the same time that he extended mercy to you and I. That was the joy set before him. But the deeper thing, you go even one level deeper than that. Yes, he established a new covenant. Yes, he satisfied justice and extended grace. All of that is true. But part of the joy that was set before him was you and I. He wanted us in the kingdom. He wanted you in the kingdom. He wanted to pay the price so he could connect with you. He's not reviled by you. 
He's not trying to turn away from you. He paid the ultimate price so that you could come home to the kingdom. Each and every one of us. You were the joy set before Jesus on the cross. I was the joy that was set before Jesus at the cross. And this is not glorifying ourselves. It's just the immense love that Jesus had for his people, for us, for you and I. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the source of our joy. This is the reason why we get to have joy at all in this broken and confused world. It's because of the grace of Jesus. If you want to get warm, there it is. I think it's worth clapping for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the thing. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel, right? We sing that word. What does that mean? God with us. He is with us. We wouldn't have joy if he weren't with us. We wouldn't have the helper, the Holy Spirit, if Jesus hadn't done what he did on the cross. If you want to get warm, you got to get close to the fire. If you want some joy, you got to get close to the source of joy. And you will get authentic joy. The kind of joy that can sit alongside pain. The kind of joy that doesn't need to make every circumstance of our life great to be happy. The kind of joy that even in a dark season, you could say, Lord, I trust you. And I find my joy in you, not in anything else.